Hey, everybody. Welcome in to another episode of the Check the Stats podcast. I'm your host, Mike Leon. As always, this series lives on theanalyst.com and available wherever you get your podcast. If you like what you hear, whatever audio podcast platform you're listening to us right now, do me a favor, hit that subscribe button. And if you can, leave us a five-star review and comment, please. You know what? Pretty please. I'll add a pretty in there. As always with each episode, we'll dive deep into how sports stats are used by coaches, players, scouts, trainers, and broadcasters alike as part of their everyday profession. Today's episode is about America's pastime, my first love, the game of baseball. You know, I would play Pepper as a kid with my friends. You know, by the way, nobody plays Pepper anymore. Anyway, I digress. You grab the glove, you ask a friend to have a catch, you go to the ballpark to see your favorite team, watching batting practice of your favorite players before the game. Then the game, you sit in your seat, you're watching, you hear the sound of that bat crack as the double goes into the gap. Third base coach is waving in that tie and run, the roar of the crowd. You get to the seventh inning stretch. Now it's time for me to do my singing voice. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out to the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and you know what? I'll spare you the rest. You all know that seven inning stretch song by now and have at least seen some of the YouTube clips of people butchering it at Cubs games. And you probably have all grown up listening to your favorite team's radio play-by-play announcer from the legendary John Miller of the San Francisco Giants to my personal favorite, John Sterling of the New York Yankees radio network to our guest today, who's been the play-by-play announcer for the crosstown rival of the Yankees, the New York Mets, and that's Wayne Randazzo. Wayne has been the Mets radio play-by-play announcer, along with Howie Rose, for the past seven seasons on the Mets radio network, as well as a play-by-play announcer for college football and basketball games seen on the Big Ten Network and ESPN. Today, Wayne is going to share with us how he uses sports stats as part of his profession, how it helps him tell the story of the game he's calling, how he fills time in between pitches and at-bats by providing statistical information, such as on-base percentage, slugging percentage, OPS, different stats on the players, the team, the upcoming schedule, and more. Wayne Randazzo, like I mentioned, the Mets uh, play-by-play announcer on the Mets radio network. Thank you for hopping on the podcast today, Wayne. Hi, Mike. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So Wayne, uh, right off the bat, you know, like I mentioned to you all fair about the the goal and intention of this program is really to evaluate and kind of analyze how broadcasters, players, coaches, you know, uh, all use stats as part of their everyday profession. And for you, um, can you take us a little bit inside Wayne's world, uh, pun intended, on how you prepare for a game? You know, you're you're getting ready to head to the ballpark in a bit to call a game on the Mets Raider Network. What are some of the early stats that you're looking at that you feel will help craft, you know, the preliminary picture for your audience? Yeah, you know, it just depends. Um, you know, the starting pitchers, uh, you know, tonight happened to be Johnny Cueto and, and Taiwan Walker. So two guys who've been around a while. And, you know, I like to, in, in Cueto's case, we haven't seen him probably in a few years. So, um, you know, I'll just go through baseball reference and, and kind of see what's been going on with him over the last few seasons and, and what's changed. Um, you know, I, I like baseball savant and, and the stat cast, uh, stats because you really can see pitch mix, you know, and, and pitch usage and, and the way that pitchers are evolving, you know, a lot of times, uh, a good example this year, Joe Musgrove, 
you know, what's changed about Joe Musgrove? Why, why is this year different for him? Why was he off to such a good start? Um, and, and you do go back through Statcast and, and Savant and you see it right there. I mean, what, what's different? What's, what's changed about his pitch usage, why he's going to a certain pitch more often, uh, how it's been effective against left-handers and, and so on. So, you know, you, you really get a good handle on how a pitcher has improved himself or, or otherwise, or maybe he's gone the other way based on a lot of, of his own pitch mix and, and exactly what he's throwing. So I like to use that a lot. You know, we've got a lot of struggling hitters on the Mets this year and, uh, you know, going through and, and, in Jeff McNeil's case, you know, a guy who's always swung at a lot of first pitches, but this year he's not seeing as many first pitch fastballs and he's going after some first pitch junk. He's, he's swinging and missing and, or swinging and hitting the ball softly on, on pitches out of the strike zone. You know, his contact rate on pitches out of the strike zone is, is way down this year. His chase rate is up. So there's, there's a lot of reasons for why things happen. And when you dig in, you know, you're able to kind of see some of those things pop up. You know, we're going to get into some of that because we have, we have a stat over at the analyst.com, the raw value metric stat that kind of factors in the entire pitch sequence for the batter and how it calculates that number. I'll go into that in a sec, but I wanted to stay on the, on the Mets for a second, since you talked about obviously recent struggles as of this taping for, for people that are not watching the Mets on a day by day basis, how do you uh, tell the audience uh, and specifically our listeners right now, what is happening with the mess, not with the Mets, not only from a statistical perspective, obviously there's been some key injuries, but how would you tell the audience like the overall issues and with the Mets struggles as of late? Well, you know, it is case by case in, in some instances, you know, JD Davis just cannot hit a fastball right now and, and fastballs above the belt are, are, problematic for him you know he's 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 got to hit a fastball down or he won't hit it at all um you know in in dom smith's case i think he's hit some balls hard but there just hasn't been as much power this year you know conforto against left-handers has has been almost an automatic out at this point so you know we summed it up yesterday and said you know if you look at mcneil and dom and conforto and, and even lindor you could handle one or even two of them having the worst years of their career. You can't handle all four. And that's really what's happened. You have half of your lineup has had the worst year of their careers and, and have gone well beyond what was expected of them in terms of production and, and gone beyond in a way that was negative. And it's just been too much for it to overcome. I think Alonzo's had a, a year that you could expect from him. He's not had the year that he had two years ago. I think that was well above any sort of expectation. I think what Alonzo's done this year has been just a standard year for him. And then the other guys almost entirely are having the worst years of their careers. And it's it's tough for this team to swallow. The one, the one guy uh, who hasn't is Nimmo, but he was hurt for over two months. So, you know, you really haven't gotten a full year's value out of him either. So, it's uh, it's just been tough for this team to to get out of its own way in terms of how they hit the ball. Wayne, it, it, baseball is so analytics and data driven. Uh, there's so many statistical elements to it. What do you feel is uh, an overused stat in the game that maybe people rely on too much to kind of tell you the story of a hitter, a pitcher, a team? And what's something that's really underused in your opinion? Well, I do think pitcher wins is is still the the worst stat of all of them to, to even keep track of. 
Um, you know, I, I still think people look at like Marcus Stroman, for example, I think his record is something like nine and 12, but he's got a sub three ERA and, you know, he's in the top 10 in the league in that he's seven and oh, when the Mets score even three runs for him uh, you, to look at Stroman's record and to denounce him in any way, I think would be really, you know, I think that would be irresponsible. Um, so I, I still think people do that. And I think that that's something that, it has certainly lessened. I think Jacob deGrom had a huge hand in knocking that down a few pegs because of the two Cy Young years and barely getting any wins in either of those years. So I think it is lessening, but I still think that it is, it is a go-to for some people, especially with starting pitchers still, and that it, it really shouldn't be. Um, so I think that's, that's something that's overused, you know, underused. And, and I think that, I think it's just in the broadcasting world in general, you know, they'll stat like weighted runs created plus, you know, it sounds, it sounds complicated. It's difficult necessarily, especially on the radio to describe it. And you feel like you have to describe it every time you use it, you know, in, in, in a stat like that, where I think that it's, it's really key to, to talk about, how a player's offensive year is and in relative to the league and all that. And you have to, you have, you have to leave yourself time to, to say what it means. And I think that's uh, that's, that leads to it being used less, you know, you don't have to describe batting average. You don't really even have to describe uh, on base percentage plus slugging. I, I think that people understand OPS a little bit. And I think that, you can kind of get away with saying so-and-so is a 900 OPS and that's a really good year. You know, weighted runs created plus is a whole thing that you have to kind of get into every single time you say it. And uh, I just think that if it became more of the mainstream vernacular, when it came to describing how an offensive player is doing, that it would really help, you know, people understand who's doing well and who is Stroman, by the way, not nine and 12 on the season, like you mentioned, uh, 2.85 ERA as of this taping. Um, I want to ask you before we get into, you know, the stats that I mentioned over at the analyst.com, um, how tough is that for you introducing a stat specifically on the radio? You kind of touched upon that a little bit, but how tough is that to explain to the audience that may not be familiar with how it's calculated? How do you introduce that to your audience? And then receptive wise, like how receptive has the audience been to some of the statistical information that you provide? I think for the, I think some people are receptive and some people aren't, you know, sometimes we'll talk about defensive runs saved and, you know, how he will want to get into how that's calculated and who's, who's doing that and, and how they take into account every single thing that happens on the field, which I think they're starting to do more and more. I think that's getting to be a, you know, a stat that you can count on a lot more. Um, you know, I do talk about run value sometimes and, and try to describe how that's part of every single pitch changes the run value of a, of a certain at bat and, and how that all plays into, you know, exactly what that run value means per pitch or per hitter. So I, you know, try to do it. And um, I think that the audience, you know, you're trying to be informative and, and entertaining at the same time. And, I think that the audience is receptive to it for the most part. Um, but you also have to be conscious of time. You know, I don't always, it's a long game, but in that particular half inning, I don't know what's happening next. You know, I don't, I don't know if the guy's about to hit a two run Homer 
or if he's about to hit five foul balls. So I kind of have to be, you know, I, you have to kind of be tidy about how you're describing something because, you know, if the next pitch is a two run Homer, well, that kills your conversation. Now, now the narrative changes. Now you have got to go somewhere else with what you're talking about. So uh, it's, it's kind of a dance routine that we have to do and, and try to be as concise as possible with whatever it is we're talking about. Well, that's, a, that's great insight, by the way, uh, into what a broadcaster goes to. A lot of people don't realize when they're listening and tuning into you and Howie. Um, I want to get into the raw value metric that I mentioned our good folks over at theanalyst.com have done this raw value metric that is a comprehensive pitch by pitch player evaluation stat. So I'm going to give this to you, Wayne. I'm going to ask you a follow up question on it. So obviously you're, you're familiar with MLB Statcast, which looks at launch angle and exit velocity and the sprint speed of the hitter when assigning value to the batted ball. What our raw value metric does, um, it goes a little bit deeper. So a, a batter will get credit for making good decisions and ding for making bad ones because the average hitter sees about four pitches per plate appearance. Raw value allows for a quicker, more detailed breakdown of the batter's abilities than the more traditional uh, statistics. So in terms of, we recently wrote an article about like it or not, we think based on this raw value adjusted stat, and one of the best teams right now in baseball is obviously the Houston Astros that do have a good record because of the hitters that they have in the lineup that are placed in the top 25 within this adjusted ranking. So Michael Brantley, Kyle Tucker, Jordan Alvarez, and obviously Carlos Correa. And that doesn't even count, uh, you know, Guriel, who's in the top uh, five in batting average. Um, so when you hear a statistic like that, like a new statistic like that, that calculates, like I mentioned, the entire pitch sequence for the hitter, um, same thing for the pitcher as well. Um, how would you introduce that into the audience? What do you make of the statistics overall? And then obviously the output of it ranking the Astros, Giants, and Dodgers as the top three teams in terms of hitters. Well, to me, you know, what stands out about that is those three teams don't strike out. You know, those are, those are three teams, especially Houston and the Giants, and then to a lesser degree, the Dodgers. You know, those teams, they don't, they don't strike out a lot. They, they are routinely putting the ball in play. They are among the tougher teams to strike out. You know, the Giants specifically targeted Tommy LaStella, who has not played much for them this year, and, and Lamont Wade Jr., who has been a revelation for them this year. They targeted those players specifically because they don't strike out a lot. You know, Wilmer Flores, too, is a guy who typically puts the ball in play. So I think what you're seeing there is is a byproduct of that. There's teams with good power and that don't strike out. So, I, you know, from just from what you're saying about it, it seems that that is highly valued in terms of, of that stat. And then the teams that can mix power and contact are teams that are going to be the best offensively. And, you know, I think a lot of times any of these stats, you know, they just confirm what you're seeing. And I think there are some fans who will say, you know, so what, what's your point? We can see that, you know, there was a stat, the Mets have hit three ten or whatever with runners in scoring position in the games they've won this year and like one forty in the games they haven't. <clears throat> and, you know, some fans will say, well, so what, obviously they're, they're not scoring runs when they lose and they score a lot more when they win. Um, I think that there is, there is some, there is some obviousness to a lot of this, and uh, I think what my job is, is to just try to digest it in a way to make it make sense to the listener that says, yes, Jeff McNeil is struggling. 
And this, these stats or these percentages or, or these numbers confirm why this year has been so different for him. So, you know, I think that the, you have to kind of, um, you know, when, when I say that those are the teams that mix power and contact the most, well, yeah, I think to any baseball fan, that sounds good. You should try not to miss the ball and you should try to hit it as hard and as powerfully as you can while doing so. It's not, it's a lot easier said than done. And I think to highlight those te- those three teams, because they're the best at doing it and they have three of the best records, uh, I think all kind of t- ties that all together. Right. Um, it's funny because even um, I saw a stat today about the Yankees win streak and in, in their 11 game win streak, this is the first time I think in their history that they've had this, this type of win streak, but no more than 10 hits in one of the games. Uh, throughout the win streak. So a stat like that, as a fan, you say, wow, that's, that's pretty surprising too, specifically some of the games where they've scored a bunch of runs. Um, I wanted to give you the opposite on the, on the pitcher side of this uh, pitchers for this raw value metric that we have on the analyst.com. They're, they're credited for coaxing batters into a poor launch angle, exit velocity, um, horizontal spray angle. So IE a pop-up would be great for a pitcher. Um, and it also factors in whether a pitcher has the stuff to get a swing and miss on the strike or the command to lure a batter into swinging at a ball. And based on those, uh, value roster adjusted rankings for top bullpens, we have the white Sox, giants, Padres and Dodgers after the trade deadline, specifically with the white Sox getting Craig Kimbrell for, uh, from the Cubs. Um, I want to move into uh, real quick, Wayne, some of the races that, you know, you just touched upon a couple of the different teams. But before I get there, it's hard to not talk about Ohatani and what he has done this year. Uh, home run wise, 40 home runs, 88 RBIs as of this taping, even though he's got a 270 average. Uh, what do you make of his season overall and, and, and the trend of, you know, the first time a, a, a pitcher is, is leading <laughs> Major League Baseball in home runs? Yeah, I mean it's incredible. It's it's historic, and uh, it's I don't think people really give enough credit even to. I mean, he's going to win the MVP this year, and that will, uh, in some ways, make that credit more notable. But I, I I still don't think people really grasp how difficult it is what he's doing, and and how effortless he makes it seem. Um, he's a good pitcher, and I think you know in and of itself that's that's its own task, and he's got to study a lot for that, and and work hard to, to make sure that he continues to pitch well. I think he's what second in the American league in ERA over the last couple months. He's, he's having a, a really good season as a pitcher and he's, you know, one of the more dominant power hitters in, in baseball playing on a fairly regular basis, hitting in the lineup just about every day and, you know, 40 home runs and, and being a dynamic bat the way that he is, he steals bases. He, he's, he's fast. He, he uses his speed. Um, you know, he's a tremendous athlete. And I think that it's, he, he gets a lot of play. And I think there is a lot of, of credit being thrown at him by some people, but I think there's still a whole pocket of the audience that doesn't get it. That doesn't really uh, comprehend, you know, how special what he's done, what he's done this year has been. So you know, I hope that he continues, you know, even beyond this year to, to have this kind of impact. And uh, I hope that he goes down in, in history as, as one of the greatest talents baseball's ever had, because this is truly remarkable what he's done. Yeah. I mean, 18 games started as a, as a pitcher, eight and one in those starts, uh, sub three ERA for Ohatani. So it's been impressive to see. I don't know if we'll ever see anybody 
uh, on that type of path that can do both in terms of playing uh, pitcher and obviously being that type of hitter uh, hitting for power as well, too. That's the other part of this. Um, let's get into the home stretch of baseball. Obviously, um, you've got uh, maybe six weeks left until the playoffs really start. I want to get your th- take real quick on some of the races, specifically AL East. Obviously, we're seeing what the Yankees are just doing um, and bypassing the Red Sox, who are now in third place. The Rays are up top the division. The Jays are lurking behind. You never know what's going to happen with them and the pop they have in their lineup. How do you see the AL East race playing out? Well, I, you know, the way the Yankees are going, it's it's hard to just say that Tampa Bay is going to going to hang on. You know, the Rays have had another great season. Uh, you know, after losing Charlie Morton and, and Blake Snell in, in the offseason, you would think that there would be some step back. and there There hasn't been. They just keep right on chugging along doing their style of baseball and, and winning games the way that they do. They limit their mistakes, they pitch well, and they hit enough, you know, to win. And, and Wander Franco over the last month or so has has, has quietly become uh, already the the kind of young stud that the Rays thought they had, um, you know, a player that they've lacked, you know, for a lot of their history. They've not really had uh, developed great offensive players. You know, Longoria had the good, few years at the beginning of his career, obviously Rocco Baldelli didn't pan out the way they thought. Um, but there've been very few great young players that they've developed. Brandon Lau has been really good for them. And uh, now Wander Franco's come up and, and he's, he's already showing the signs of what could be a very excellent career there. So that's, that's good for them. And I think they're going to be tough to knock off. They're going to have to play the Yankees head to head and the way the Yankees are going right now. It's, it's, it's tough to see, how they'll lose. You know, there, there have been a few teams that really bettered themselves at the trade deadline, not with a one big blockbuster trade either. You know, the Yankees made several moves to, to revamp their lineup in some ways and, and add exactly what they needed. Seems similar to what Atlanta has done uh, in, in the same vein and, and, and putting, filling every hole it seemed like at the trade deadline, uh, which was, which was really excellent of those two teams and, and, and some of the others that did the same. So, you know, I do think the Yankees have a real shot at the division. I don't think the Red Sox are going to stick around as far as the division title goes, but they certainly have a crack at the wild card. It seems like Seattle is, is ready to make their move again and, and get back in that wild card hunt and make things interesting. So you know, I think it'll be a, a good race for the American league East between the Yankees and the Rays. And then the Red Sox are going to have to try to hold off those those two teams out west, Oakland and, and Seattle, to try to sneak in. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that stat. The Yankees, um, the the first time when they started Gallo, Stanton, and um, excuse me, Gallo, Stanton, and Judge uh, was the first time that all three players had previously accorded a 40 home run season. The last time was the 98 Rockies with Dante Bichette, uh, with Larry Walker and Burks. Um, so the Yankees did beef up their lineup. I wanted to, you touch pre, uh, real quick on the, the AL West and the Astros, the A's and the Mariners. So it's kind of the same question there because I gave you the stat earlier about how Houston improved uh, at, at the trade deadline with minor moves. Um, who do you feel will, will come out on top in the AL West? Yeah, just hard to see Houston blowing that. that. That's not really their style. You know, they got they have Bregman coming back. Was supposed to come back in the in the near future. Here, uh, it, it just isn't like them to collapse. We haven't seen that from them. Um, they haven't 
you know, the A's stay close. I think the Mariners are good enough and, and are hungry enough to try to, to make a shot at the wild card, but to see them chasing down and, and passing both Oakland and Houston seems extremely optimistic. I just don't see the Astros losing enough games to get knocked out of that top spot uh, the way that they would need to. So I would think Houston's going to win the division, but I, I'm certainly not going to count out Oakland or Seattle for that wild card spot, which again puts Boston in in some jeopardy. I think it's going to be a pretty hotly contested race between those three teams to see which will be the second wild card. You know, assuming that the first wild card will be either the Yankees or the Rays. You know, we'll switch to the other West Division in the National League. The Giants have had such a good year that you would think they would run away with it, except for the fact that the team right behind them, two and a half behind them as of this taping, and a plus 207 run differential is the Los Angeles Dodgers. And then the Padres kind of lost some steam from mid-year. How do you see the NL West race shaping out? Yeah, you know, the Mets have played the Giants and Dodgers for the last two weeks now. So we've we've seen those teams head on up close for quite a while. And, you know, they're they're both fun to watch. The Giants have a style of, of play that is really entertaining. Um, they hit line drives, they they hit home runs, and they all do it. You know, there is definitely a, a targeted plan there offensively, and it's working for San Francisco. This is not dumb luck that has put them in this position. They know what they're doing. Farhan has built a terrific team and he's done so in a way uh, with mostly short-term contracts. You know, they, they haven't given anyone really a long-term deal there. Everybody is kind of playing for their jobs too in the next year or two or three. And, and what they've built there to make this surge has, has been really impressive. Uh, I like them a lot. I do think the Dodgers are a better team, though. You know, we saw uh, L.A. and we've seen L.A. They're they're playing very well right now. They're winning almost every night and they don't have Clayton Kershaw and they don't have Mookie Betts right now. I mean, the two of the best players in baseball, their best player and their best pitcher are out right now. And when Kershaw comes back, he joins a rotation that now has Scherzer that has Bueller on the path to a Cy Young this year. Urias is back off the IL now. Uh, I mean, they are, they seem unstoppable. Um, you know, the, can the giants win enough games? They don't play each other very much out the rest of the way. They have one more series against each other, which I think is in the giants favor. Um, you know, they're going to be able to, to beat up on some other teams and, and keep the Dodgers held off. It's possible the giants win that division. Certainly with a, two and a half game lead. And with the way that they, they play, I think San Francisco can do it, but I do think the Dodgers are the better team. And if the Dodgers win the West, I, I, I don't, I don't know how any team is going to beat them in the postseason. Wayne, in the words of Vanessa Williams, we saved the best for last. I want you to speak to, there's a few Mets fans that are listening to this and the NL East race was now looks like a two-team race with the Braves and Phillies. But I want you to give our Mets fans, specifically my father who listens to this, some hope out there. Um, obviously, the Mets, as of this taping, are in third in the division. You mentioned the struggles earlier, not only from a statistical perspective, injuries, um, the key players that have really all had bad seasons all at the same time. Um, how does the race shape out? How can the Mets get back into it? Will they get back into it? I will say that I disagree that it's a, a two-team race. I, I, the Phillies and Mets are separated by two games, and it's either a three-team race or it's a one-team race right now. Either Atlanta is, has become so much better than those other two teams that they're just going to 
continue to, to run away and pull away from the other two. Or both the Phillies and the Mets will make a run here. And as far as the Mets go, you know, once their series with the Giants is over, they play 15 straight games against Washington and Miami. And that's where they have to do it. That's where the run has to be made. If the Mets win 11 or 12 of those 15, it really, regardless of what happens with the Giants, if they can go 12 and three in those 15 games against the Nationals and the Marlins, well, then they should be right back in the race. You can, you can gain some ground in that time. You can probably gain three or four games at least during that time and, and pull within two or three going into the final few weeks of the season. And then who knows? The Mets have a tougher schedule down the stretch. They still play the Yankees. They still play Milwaukee. They play the Red Sox. They play the Braves. They play the Phillies again. So it will be tough in the last three weeks of the season for the Mets because of their schedule. But if they can gain ground in the 15-game stretch against the Nationals and the Marlins, then I think they're still alive. Now, if they come out of that stretch playing 500, or if they go, you know, seven and eight, eight and seven in that time, that's not enough. And they're, they're, they're pretty much cooked. But I, I do think that it's not fair to say the Mets are out of it until that stretch of games with Washington and Miami is over. Wayne, before we let you go, I, I alluded to it before you hopped on how you call games for the Big Ten Network and obviously for, for ESPNU, ESPN3. Um, what are you looking forward to in the fall for college football or college basketball, either a matchup that maybe you got your eye on that you're going to be calling broadcast wise and take us inside how you prepare for those games as opposed to baseball? Yeah, you know, I, I actually have a few games coming up for uh, MLB on Fox. I'm doing the last three Saturdays for them. Uh, which I'm excited about and uh, looking forward to that, you know, football, you know, I don't know. I never really know what I'm going to get, um, you know, just kind of freelance that way and, and basketball too. You know, I, I do end up usually doing a lot of big 10 and, and big East games. You know, uh, the big 10 lost some, some great players this, this past year, you know, Luca Garza left Iowa to go to the NBA. And so did Io DeSumo from, from Illinois um, you know, the Big Ten is a great basketball conference and, and lucky to get to see it up close. Um, you know, there's there's always two or three or four really great teams in the Big Ten, plus five or six others that are really good. Uh, it kind of makes for a, a 10 or more team battle a lot of times in the Big Ten. So I, I think Big Ten basketball is always fun to watch and, um, you know, always, always a, an entertaining you know, season. I think that, um, you know, where you look up and down that, that conference and there's, there's very few, uh, gimmies in that, in that conference, which I think makes it great. I think there's, those are, those are always fun games to watch the big East too. You know, there's, it's, it's not quite as, as thorough as the big 10, you know, it's not as top to bottom as good, but there's some great basketball in the big East too. And I, I love watching, um, those college basketball games and, and getting to see those teams and, you know, for football, you know, whatever kind of comes is, uh, is, is always exciting and being a part of the college football or even the NFL, I do some NFL games on the radio too. Um, and, and you know, kind of get thrust into uh, whatever, you know, any, any sort of scenarios, the season goes along and you, I just try to be ready, you know, whenever, whenever I get a game, start to dig into those rosters and, and start to, uh, do some research, you know, watch a, a previous game or two just to get an idea of what they look like on the field or on the court and, uh, you know, kind of just take in 
you know, what these teams are all about. And so you, so you're not seeing them for the first time when you do the game. Um, it, the, the prep is different because you kind of have to know uh, for basketball, it's short roster. So you don't have to do so much for football. It's a lot. Football is, football is pretty much a 40 hour work week, how much you have to study and, and prepare and, and get to know the players and watch the games and, and all that. I mean, it's, that's, that's a significant amount of work that you have to do for a football game. So it's uh, it's great though. And I, you know, I hope I can do as many as, as possible in the off season. Well, I'm certainly jealous as a Rutgers guy. You see Greg Shano's bobblehead here for those of you watching on video in my background. And obviously, uh, we lost a couple of players on the basketball side, Jacob Young and Miles Johnson from an NCAA tournament team. So I'm jealous that you get to be at the Big Ten venues and calling some of those games, Wayne. Uh, you can check out Wayne Randazzo on the Mets Radio Network uh, and check out Wayne calling a college basketball football game near you on a network near you. Wayne, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast today. I truly appreciate it. All right, Mike. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. All right. That was the great Wayne Randazzo. One of my favorite listens to on the radio. You know, I mentioned there, my father's a big time Met fan. So he's a big Wayne Randazzo fan. Howie Rose, you can check out them on the Mets radio network, calling all of the Met games. Um, a couple key things that I wanted to mention about Wayne. Um, and specifically he touched upon, you know, it's not a, two-team race in the National League East. It's a three-team race, he mentioned. Uh, obviously, in the month of September, the Mets will play uh, the Yankees-Cardinals home in a six-game homestand and the Phillies as well. Actually, it's a nine-game homestand. So, big stretch there in the middle of the month. He mentioned at the beginning of the month, uh, they play the Nationals for five games and the Marlins for three games. So, they really need to make up some ground. In the month of September, they close out the stretch with the Marlins uh, at home. But like he mentioned, at Red Sox, at Brewers, prior to that, it's going to be a tough stretch. The AL East race, which obviously as a Yankee fan myself, I'm concerned with um, the Yankees have a pretty favorable schedule uh, down the stretch. Obviously, they play the Orioles, Blue Jays at home. All teams um, that they have better records than. They play the Mets, a uh, makeup game with the Twins. The Orioles within that stretch, which have one of the worst records in baseball, the Indians, which are below 500 and the Rangers as well. So a very favorable schedule for the Yankees down the stretch net and an AL East race against the Rays. Uh, the Red Sox, like he mentioned, a tough stretch for them. They play the Rays uh, for five games in the month of September. They play the White Sox, Mariners all on the road. Those are all teams with winning records. Um, and obviously they play the Mets and the Yankees, but they do have a few games in between there, six in total against the Orioles. So hopefully the, the Red Sox can make up some ground. I'm not rooting for them, but hopefully the uh, Red Sox fans that are listening will hope that their team can make up some ground. Um, some great insight there from Wayne in terms of how he uses stats and data really in his day job with the Mets, you know, baseball is so rich uh, in all of the statistical data. I encourage everybody to go to the analyst.com and check out our articles about the raw value metric uh, and how it's explained, how it's calculated, some stuff that we did uh, at the analyst.com on the Astros and some of the tra trade deadline news, right? How, how have teams fared with some of these moves that they made at the trade deadline? Head to the, M the uh, baseball section of the analysts and you can get all of that information. For this podcast, like I mentioned, each episode, we're going to go deep into how a player, a broadcaster, a coach, a scout, a trainer uses sports data as part of their everyday profession. If you like what you hear, like I mentioned at the top, please leave us a five-star review and comment and subscribe to the pod. As always, I'm Mike Leon. Thank you, everybody. We'll catch you next time.